Hello, and welcome to The Windwire, where industry leaders share the stories of transformative deals that shape their companies and careers. I'm Michael Katz, and we hope these stories will empower you and your teams with inspiration and insights for success, no matter where you are on your journey. Let's get started. Our guest today is Adam Ahrens. Adam is the Chief Revenue Officer at Drata, a solution that helps organizations achieve continuous framework compliance for certifications like SOC 2, ISO, HIPAA, GDPR, and many more. He served as President and Chief Revenue Officer of Classy from 2018 to 2020, and before that was Chief Revenue Officer of Okta from 2012 to 2018, taking it all the way to IPO. He also served in leadership roles at Blade Logic and BMC, and originally started at PTC back in the late 90s. We're super excited to have Adam with us today, and we're lucky because he accidentally gave us three separate deal stories that changed his career and perspective, from big wins to big losses to somewhere in between. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we we're super excited to have you. Obviously, we've had some folks already who you know and who you've talked about in other interviews, but we're really excited to talk today about one or two deals that really impacted your career and changed the game for you. Now, before we get into the details, I want to set the scene. Your deal is from 2000. You were relatively new in the industry, all things considered, given your tenure today. would love if you could just provide some background as to how you found yourself there. How did you get into selling in the first place? What, what led you to this kind of place in your career? What's happening there? Yeah, appreciate it. It was early days. I'm, I've been around the hoop, as you might say, for a long time in this game. So this is like 23 years ago. And I had been an SDR at the time at PTC. I originally got recruited into PTC through, uh, I was selling Cutco knives in college to make some extra money on the side. And I met the VP of sales. It was John McMahon at the time. He was building out an SDR organization. And so I was one of the first SDRs ever at PTC and I got promoted. So I was originally from Los Angeles and they were looking, we, they started as SDR group and you'd be an SDR for like 12 months and then you'd get promoted out to somewhere in the field. And I was working with the West Coast team and I grew up in Los Angeles. And so they said, Hey, we got an opening in San Francisco. We're going to send you there. So I ended up, in, I say San Francisco, San Jose in the Bay area. And when I got there, I was an early rep and they gave me East, East San Jose and Fremont and Hayward and Milpitas was like my core patch. And if you know the Bay Area, that's like the worst patch in the Bay Area. But I, I didn't know any better. And I was just working my tail off at PTC trying to get into accounts and cold calling around. And I realized I had this really big contract manufacturer in, in, in Milpitas called Selectron Corporation. And at the time, the company had done like $14 billion in revenue. They were a customer of ours, but they only were using like like a hundred grand worth of software. So I, I cold called the CIO. I didn't cold call him. I paged him because this is 2000 on the factory floor. And he picked up the CIO called me back and said, who is this? You know, how can I help you? His name's Ken H. Great guy. And I just did my pitch. I said, Hey, you don't know me, and, but I know your, your, your company and you're a customer of mine. And we help companies like yours, you know, do things. And did a metric and a, a whole hung thrasher and said, I don't, I, I, I'm confident we can do some of those things for you. And he said, you know, Adam, I don't know what you're talking about, but I love your enthusiasm. And yeah, I'll take a meeting with you. And so that's sort of where my journey started. 
uh, on the deal with Selectron. And now I got myself involved in this specific opportunity. I know a lot of sellers and sales leaders today actually started their careers at, at places like Cutco, just like you, which is fascinating. And of course, a storied sales organization there. I, I wanted to pause just for a second. I think a lot of folks know John McMahon, a bit of a legendary sales leader in the industry. And of course, you spent some time with him later at Blade Logic. Was this a common occurrence for you that you were sourcing job opportunities in your Cutco role, or was this a very unique situation? No, yeah, that's, you know, John's probably the most influential person in my life outside of my parents in my career. So it was a normal sales call. He offered me the job at the end of the call and said, you know, you're pretty good at this. You should come work for me and make real money. You know, there's like, I actually do pretty good and uh, I'm a sophomore in college. So when I get out, I'll give you a call. And when I got out, he had moved to uh, Holland. He was living in Amsterdam and I sent him a note, a letter. So I, I wrote him a letter actually. And um, he called me back from an airport in Germany and said, hey, are you ready to go? Are you ready to start? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you got an interview next week. I went into PTC and the, sort of the rest is history for me. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. And we're five minutes in right now. And uh, the, great, the great news is we've already talked about pagers and letters. It's all true, man. I, like I said, I've been around the game for a while. Things change. Some things don't. Yeah, I'll tell you, letters still goes pretty far. You talked a little bit about how you sourced the deal. And I guess just one question out of curiosity, you mentioned you had this bad territory. Were you anxious right now trying to make your mark at the time? You know, I always had this like, why not me analogy. Like I just always looked at, I looked at the people that were doing the job and I'm like, I think I can do that job. I think I can do that. I knew what the qualifications were to be successful. And I was just willing to do the, the road work. And outside of that, it then comes down to doing things that are hard. And I wasn't afraid to do those things. And I think that just gave me confidence that given the tools and the training, I was, I was at, you know, PTC is a powerhouse for, for training and, and building out great sellers. And I was following the footsteps of, you know, jumping on the shoulders of giants. So. I felt confident with the tools that I was given. And I just kind of always had this, why not me analogy. I love it. And so, you know, you called on Ken. Let's talk a little bit about the key moments along the way, what made it so impactful and what you did from that first, first call on. Man, he brought in two of his uh, deputies to the meeting and they became my champion. So Lowell and Chan and Lex Brown were still friends of mine today. They ended up, he brought them into the meeting and we had put together a proposal. I, I was working with their engineering team, which is why they had a small footprint. He was selling computer-aided design for mechanical engineers and Selectron is a manufacturing company. So they had a full factory floor and most of their money was being made on all the computers and products that they were building for HP, Compact at the time and different computer companies. And we had a way that, hey, if the design changes, you can feed that design all the way into the instructions of how to, how to put that product together. And we had a, a ROI put together and all value proposition. And the proposal for the deal was like $5 million at the time, which was huge for, for us at the time. And, and Ken sponsored that. He's like, Hey, if you guys can really do this, he helped sponsor the value proposition. I mean, uh, Roland and Lash were. They did all the work with me and sponsored it and would bring it up in senior staff meetings and bring it up in 
with operations. And in fact, the end of the, the cycle with the deal, we, we were in front of the president of the company, the COO and the CIO. And that's who we were pitching the final proposal to and picking the meeting. You clearly had these champions for whatever reason they trusted you. What do you see as those sort of key moments, low points, challenges, and, and ultimately closing that deal? I didn't close the deal, so we didn't get it. It's a wild story. We got the meeting with like the three leaders of the company and my senior VP came in the night before we were presenting the meeting and we didn't have full confidence that we could actually do what we were proposing. It's the first time we we're ever going to do it. And he's like, yeah, I want to put the brakes on this and do a proof of concept before we go in and pitch this $5 million deal and get them to, you know, commit to like a half a million, a quarter million dollars with a pretense that if we do that, then we'll do the whole deal. And we didn't voice that with my champions or the CIO before the meeting. And we went in, I was, you know, again, pretty early on in my career, it did not go over well. We took out a lot of the, the value properly and put together and changed some things. And uh, I remember because the CIO stood up in the meeting and said, I don't know what I'm doing here and walked out of the room as we were pitching. And, and that was pretty humbling for me. And so he got up, walked out, president got up and walked out. My two champions are in the room with me, just sort of looking at me. The VP of New Process and Induction was there, and I remember it vividly. And I got up, and as the CIO was walking out, I said, Ken, can you just give me one more shot? I can fix it. We'll come back stronger. And he said, yeah, I'll give you one more shot, and walked out of the room. We did get a second shot, and we got the meeting scheduled and confirmed. We remapped how we were going to go out and do it. I had the CEO coming in the meeting with me, and we were going to miss that quarter. So he had to do guidance with the street the same day that we were at a meeting with uh, COO, president, CIO. And so we had to ask to move the meeting. And I remember because the CEO was at me, goes, Adam, don't move the meeting. You'll never get it again. And we didn't. We moved the meeting and we never got it again. And the deal died at that time. Wow. I can barely believe that the executives of their company we're willing to give you another shot after literally walking out on I you. built a lot of capital. I mean, I had a card. I had a Selectron ID card, right? I mean, I was walking the halls and I knew the CIO and I was in their office. I was working from their office a lot at the time. And yet after that meeting was rescheduled, you didn't get it again. So, uh, so what happens next? Yeah, it was interesting. When it didn't get rescheduled and it was dying on the line, the CIO called me up and asked me, we want to go have lunch. So I met with him and... One of my champions, Roland Chan, and Tim and I had lunch together. And he said, and we're not going to buy your product to think we see. He goes, but there is another product that we're looking at. And we competed with them. But this was not, we weren't competing for these dollars. The product lifecycle management, a company called Agile Software. And he goes, but I am, I think I'm going to buy this other product. It's called Agile Software. And I need a sales rep. They're looking for a sales rep right now. And I'll go into Agile and help put this deal together. I'd like you to be that guy. And uh, I was like, sweet. I, my, everything I've been working on for the last 18 months, he just gone, gone away. And I was like, that's awesome. So I got introduced to the senior VP of global accounts and then the CEO at Agile to go run a sales campaign for them with Selectron. It was you know, already half-baked by the time the CIO introduced me. So, so just to clarify here, you were essentially referred by a customer who already wanted to buy the other product into the company that he wanted to buy. Yeah. So Brian Stolle, who was CEO of Agile at the time, 
because I was like 23 years old. And he sits me down and he goes, Adam, have you ever closed a million dollar deal? I'm like, no. He goes, why would I hire you? They go, do this job. I said, well, because the largest contract manufacturer on the planet, CIO, told you to. And he goes, yeah, you like. It fits in very sparse. It wasn't that the sales rep they had they didn't like. He was promoted. He became the VP of, of enterprise accounts, or what we call strategic accounts, global accounts at the time. And so I was back filling him, and they wanted me to be the person that they negotiated and worked with. And yeah, he knew that it was a really good guy, right? Then had been around the block a bunch, and he was like, uh, I was accountable to those guys. I think that, you know, they didn't do it because they liked me. They did it because they felt accountable back to me. That's pretty special. I mean, I do think it speaks to a bit of a timeless principle here of, yeah, people do ultimately want to buy from those people who are doing right by them. They also want the people, they want those relationships. Uh, is there any kind of memorable stories from when you joined Agile to the end of that deal? How did it all go down? It was a massive deal. So, I mean, I was responsible for helping orchestrate it at Anderson Consulting, that's now Accenture at the time. And I mean, I don't remember how it broke out, but all in the deal was like $18 million between us and Accenture, and we paid for it all few agile and so it was a huge huge deal but it was just basically building out factory by factory the product life cycle and the way that they're managing it uh for selectron corporation i i can say that there were challenges in that process of of putting it together and it's a small world a leader from accenture the managing director subsequently like 2013 showed up at Okta and became like head of global services for Okta. You know, what well, some 12 years later, we ended up hooking up again. But he and I did that deal together, Greg Lorenz and I uh, at Selectron. The funny thing is, of course, to your point, you had this why not me mentality of I can do anything. I see what other people are doing. I can do this. On the other hand, there is a bit of domain expertise and just you know, selling an $18 million deal is not exactly a straightforward process. I don't even care if you've been in the game for 30 years. How'd you kind of deal with like what you did know, what you didn't know, getting help from people? Yeah, I had great mentors. I mean, I had great people that in my life that helped me a lot. I'll tell you was one part of the deal that was really special was we had Agility, which was our user conference in Vegas. And now uh, Lesh Brown called me up on day two and goes, Hey, I think we can get the order today. And I was like, dude, if you do, we'll take it up on stage with Brian Stolle in front of like a thousand people. And uh, we did, we got the order and we were able to showcase it in front of all of our customers and all of the employees of the company and our, at our event in Vegas. And and Les was able to get up there on stage with us. And it's pretty awesome. There you were lurking in the background though. Of course. It was all good, man. I don't need to be in, in the front. I'm happy. I'm happy right where I am. Lesh came and worked for us at Agile. So he ended up coming over. He was so engaged. Once they got the product deployed, he ended up coming and working at Agile for a number of years. And then I hired him. I actually followed him, I think, to another company after that. So we ended up working together for like a decade. Look, I didn't win the game, right? So I think the moral of the story is like, I got the opportunity because I built so much capital and so much time with people that they wanted to work with me. And 
I've seen that happen in other parts of my career. And it's not always because I'm the nice guy or because I'm helpful. So we had a deal it into it. And I went to a company called Arena Solution that PTC subsequently bought. And we did PLM on demand at the time. It's like 2005. So this is when the cloud was not cool. That's what I used to say. I'm like, that wasn't cool, but we were in the cloud and we were buying for a deal at Intuit. And the head of engineering was a guy named Rich Witherspoon. And he called me up as we've been competing and we've done a proof of goes, We're not going to go with you guys. Like, I'm sorry, but we're going to go with the other vendor. And I'm like, I can't take that as the answer. I'm like, is that been voiced with the whole team? Is that decision made? It's like, it's my decision and it's made. And so you know, we got off the call and I was like, I can't, I put too much sweat equity into this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to send notes to the CEO, the CFO. I mean, I hit up the CIO. I just did like blind emails and I said, you're making a decision. And I think it's the wrong one. And I'd like five minutes. And, and I got a reply from the CFO, which was pretty impressive. He just said, Adam, no. Well, the response I got, just no. And then he got a reply. I was like, all right, well, I got something. And then like. Five days later, I called Rich on like a Friday, mid-morning. And I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? He goes, how's it going? I'm like, yeah, how's it going? He's like, you think going around me and going to every executive in this company is going to win you business. And it's, you're out of your flipping mind. And, and, just, and I was like, look, man, I, this is my job. Like, if I don't do my job, I don't have a job. Like, I'm just doing my job. And he goes, Adam, you just need to chill out. And I was like, okay, what? And he goes, I don't think we're going to get the funding that we need to go with the vendor that we want. And that was our advantage. If you were in the cloud and so you were buying it a totally different way. And he's like, and if I don't, we're going to go with you guys. He's like, just hang in there. I'm like, that's the problem, Rich. I'm just hanging, man. I need to, like, I need you to come forward and give me an answer. And he goes, we have a meeting today. He's like, we're, I don't know. And he did call me before the end of the day and does, but then it gets you, it, the deal's yours. And I remember I went and got the purchase order from them on Monday uh, and I brought it into the office and like stuck it up on my boss's glass wall. But what was interesting about that was forevermore, if I ever was walking the halls of Intuit or I needed to call somebody, he'd pick up my call every time. He'd walk out of staff meetings and come talk because I was accountable. And he knew that like, if he had used me that way, I would be accountable for him in the same way. That's, that's what I thought. And actually we became good friends too. And. I think Rich would, would tell you that as well. It's interesting. You can criticize the process, but you can't criticize the results. Uh, ultimately, you got, you trying to email everyone did get you the result you wanted, maybe in a roundabout way. It doesn't always work, man. It's like, but if, the, if you're going to, you know, you're going to kick me out of town and I know I got to go, I might bring the bridge on the way out, see if, it, see if something happens. You know, I'll tell you the success rates are not super high. That being said, you know, I've done my share of lobby squatting as well. And that stuff is humbling, but it works. Yeah. Really, every single deal is that next experience to go learn from. Being able to ingest that and take those learnings and move to the next one. Just as a, like a final question on those different deals that you just discussed. You know, anything that you would have avoided going back in those situations or anything you kind of took to the future as you move, moved along your career from those kinds I of things. Like the Intuit deal for me, I, I would have liked to have known that there was a budget concern and that he didn't know. I didn't build a, a good enough champion in the process. Like people make up a lot of reasons why they lose deals. And I always say we got outsold. 
It's like, what do you mean? It's like nine out of 10 times, I'll even argue like 9.9 out of 10 times, we get upsold. It's like somebody's making a decision and you're not there to help them with the criteria to make that decision for you. And if you're not, then get out of the room, get out of the deal. You know, a deal is like a race. I use the analogy of like there's hurdles in a race. If you're running a race with hurdles, that's like a deal. And you got 90 days to run these races. And the hurdles are going to be there whether you like it or not. Like they're there. And so you have a choice. You can jump them early and you can do things like get the business value laid down, get to the economic buyer, have understand who your champions are, test them, make sure that before you do a proof of bank, those things are lined up. You understand the paper process. You understand the compelling events wrapped around the pain. If you don't, if you don't get those things and you move a deal forward and you lose it, whose fault is that? We get outsold. It's like, oh, well, the product didn't reflect. Well, hey, if you lined it up in a way that the plus event showcased weakness of your product, why'd you do it? Like, there's two winners in every deal. The person that wins and the person that walks away first because these hurdles are there. If you don't jump them early, you have to jump them late. What happens? You're tired. It's late in the quarter. Then if you trip, where's the race? There's like, if you trip on one of those hurdles late, it's over. But if you're running your race early and you trip on a hurdle, guess what? You got time. You can go run another race. So it's really important that as a seller, you understand. For me, that was really important was like, hey, I have to figure out a way to align this to the customer's needs in a way that makes me unique. And that I get buy-in from the right people and understand what those needs are so that I can either map my product to them or realize that I don't have the right solution and I should go. I should go spend my time elsewhere because if I fool myself and don't jump those hurdles early, they show up late. And that's when you can, that's when you, you lose the race. Sometimes it either takes a lot of really hard lessons to get to that realization. Clearly it's stuck with you or you got to go watch someone else making that mistake in a really big way and you know, seeing how it affected them. Yeah, look, there's, I mean, I, I love this game because you learn all the time. And there are great sellers out there that, that teach me things every day. And so there's a guy that his name's Ted Mahara. And he was a, a sales rep that I, I was at Blade Logic. He got acquired by DMC and Ted was at BMC. I find myself on being a deal dog and, and in the fight, I think I'm as good as anybody, but I used to say in a back dark alley, if Ted Mahara is sitting there, man, I'm, I'm checking myself twice. The dude's just a. I mean, he's the Miserat. He's like, he's a chess player. And he's just, he's, he's incredible the way that he, he builds accountability with his customers. He's not friendly. He's not like the guy that comes in and bros everybody out. He's very businesslike. He's very well respected. He's a big deal killer. And I just, the respect for the way that he goes about doing it, he's just a killer. And I've seen the dude do multi million dollar deals that way. And in, very big political environments and guys like them. There's uh, people at Drata today that are, there's the guy Jordan Afredo on our team. They're great sellers and you get to learn. I, I, my goal when working with those guys is to try to make them better with me than they'd be without me. That's my job. And I get to learn from them and I get to sit side saddle with them. And then if I can help them be, look, I got a lot of experience. Whereas before I would, as a first line manager, I'm riding shotgun with 
Ted Mahara or Jordan Lafredo in, in his case. Well, now I've got leaders and my job is to enable them. I give them the ability to, to do those things. You've been in the game for decades now. And what's really interesting is not necessarily voluntarily, but it is really hard to learn from other people. It can be hard when everyone's in their own little silos, sitting on their own couch or whatever it is, trying to close deals to learn those lessons that you just mentioned. How are these great people doing that? And, you know, I think it's a great testament that someone of your stature and tenure, even now is saying, I have a lot to learn and I'm learning from what people are doing every day right now. It's a different world now, in the virtual world. I learn new stuff all the time. And I think it's like, that's what makes this, this gig interesting. I'm too ADD. If they wasn't, I, I'd have to get you something else. Just wanted to ask you, who are one or two leaders or peers or even reports that have had the most impact on you throughout your career and why? What, what do you wish everyone else could know or learn that you learned from them? Yeah, we talked about John, so he's a given. Like Scott Davis is a peer of mine who was a uh, regional vice president at Glade Logic when I was there and built with the East for EMC software. And there was a period of time where McMahon was running sales, but he was really busy getting his arms around PMs. And Scott and I uh, had to work together to try to figure things out. Uh, I was running lessons out in the East and we'd do standing calls together just to bounce ideas, working on deals and like you would with uh, someone you're reporting to just to get a second set of eyes at a level. And the funny thing about Scott is we're like polar opposite personalities we, and we get along great because we just help each other in blind spots. I think that each one of us wouldn't see the same way. So Scott's been a senior VP and CRO at a number of places and he's in semi-retirement now. He buys the work, but he's someone that, uh, I've always had a high level. He's always had a big impact and his opinion goes far with me. Mark Creedy, another guy that I've always, uh, you know, I was, uh, when I first got moved into a rep role, Mark was my area vice president at PTC. And when I went to Blade Logic, I called Mark and said, so, you know, I was going to go to Blade and he was at Opsware. And I, I remember Travis Patterson was, his VP of North America. And Mark, you know, I said, hey, dude, I'm going to go. I want you to know I'm going to take an offer and go work for Blade Logic. Can you get built? Mother effer, suit up and get down here. I was like, what? He's like, get a suit on and get your ass down here. And uh, I, so I drove down to Sunnyvale and then like two hours later, and it was awesome. And he had experience for me. Was, he's ripping me apart. He's like, you go to Blade Logic. I give away every deal in the Bay Area. This is my backyard. It's my domain. Like, I'll eat your kids kind of stuff, right? I don't think that was the actual line, but you know, just like ripping me up. And I, I remember like I, I smiled and he looked at me and he's like, what are you smiling at, mother effort? And I was like, you. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, it's awesome. I'm like you're doing all this for me. And it's just me. I'm like, you're doing all this for me. And he cracked a smile for like a second. And then just went right back into it. And right back into like just drilling me. And I love Mark. Uh, because I know him as a human being beyond all of that. And I can get past that with him. Like we had a deal at MGM. So, you, you know, I've lost and won more deals. Deals are like cats. They have nine lives. Like they die and come back. Well, I, I had a deal at MGM. We lost it. 
it, I called Mark. I was like, hey, man, they want us to come down to a certain price. Well, first I called him and I'm like, I need your advice. And he's like, you couldn't close a freaking door without me, Aaron. And I'm like, hey, Mark, I'm serious. And he goes, all right, what's up? He just dropped the act. He's like, what's up? And I started walking through this deal at MGM. And he's like, I want to walk. And he's like, don't. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, get, the, get back in there. He's like, just MGM. He's like, get back in there. He's like, find a way. And, uh, and we did. And, and we ended up winning that, coming back and winning. That's another Kid Gill story. But what's interesting was when Mark was my AVP, Jack Lynch, he's also another, another guy I would say hugely influential on me and ran North America at Octo when I was the CRO. And Jack and Mark and I have a long history together because Jack was like the regional director when Mark was my AVP at PTC. And my first quarter there, I had a deal for like 25 day and the customer called me on the last day of the quarter and said, uh, we're not going to do the deal. And uh, Mark and Jack drove me to the customer site and dropped me off and told me I couldn't come back to the office if I didn't get the order. And like, I, I mean, I, I swear, the company was Tom 21. And I sat in the lobby and it's humbling. And the uh, head of engineering's admin came down and he's like, Adam, you can't sit here. And I'm like, I can't go. There's nowhere else to go, man. Like, I'm here. I was like, I just need an audience with them for five minutes. And get, I swear to get me out of the building, they gave me an order for $8,000. And I thought I lost, right? And I was deflated because I only got eight grand. And Mark and Jack picked me up and were so elated and supportive and like couldn't believe I got an order and took me out, made me feel like, you know, I was a hero because I didn't know any better, right? And those guys, that, you know, those are things you learn from great, great mentors. And with Jack and when I hired him to run the West, things kind of came full circle. But we knew each other so well over the years that we were, you know, we could just be interchangeable on opportunities and we could read each other and be able to do things quickly. So why is like that had a real big impact on me in my career? That's amazing. That's an amazing story too. It reminds me, I think it's like in the Netherlands and a couple other places, right? There's the practice of the parent dropping their kid off in the forest and making them find their way back. It's like sales ratio to that. And they're Uber yeah, back they, then too. You know, at PTC, they test your metal all the time. That is a big part of the culture. There's to kick you and see if you, you do something. They wanted you to. They, you know, there's a saying, and again, I'm old, right? So Bill Parcells is the coach of the Patriots in the late nineties. And he had a saying, they drafted a wide receiver. The guy's name was Terry Glenn. And he didn't want to draft him. He wanted to draft him. And he said, you know, if they don't bite when they're puppies, they're usually not going to bite. And he meant it like, this guy's soft. And you can see it. And if they think he's just going to be tough because he comes to the Patriots as a wide receiver, you're wrong. Will Parcells had some other great lines, too. He also, in that same draft, said, you know, they want you to pick the meal, but they won't let you buy the groceries. Relating to the same player, right? Saying, like, hey, you want me to take this team to the gym? you want to let me pick the draft heads? Well, yeah, I, I think some of that stuff really holds true. That's great. And yeah, Scott, it's funny about Scott Davis is, I, you know, I spent a bunch of years at Qualtrics and, you know, Qualtrics Medallia was our number one competitor. Of course, just being competitive, I'm thinking I hate everyone there just to get myself up in the morning, of course. And then I called Scott once I left there and uh, once we started this business and he could not have been nicer. Yeah, I don't think it. But I think of Scott Davis, I don't think of a nice guy. He's a great guy. 
<laughs> and he's not a nice guy. Um, but I'm glad that he is with you. I'm sure you, know, you, you respect those that you go to battle with. Like I always say, like, I'll, I'll fight you in the street, but afterwards I'm going to buy you a beer in the bar. Exactly. Obviously, it's been a journey for you. Sierra of Octa, you were leading a classy, decided to go be an advisor for a while, and now you're at Drata. Wanted to kind of give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about what got you really passionate about the opportunity there and what makes you excited to get up now. Yeah, I was doing part-time work as an advisor and a board member for the last few years. They're here in San Diego. And the founder, I met him about a year and a half ago. The company was really early on, single digits in terms of millions in ARR. And they asked me to come on as an advisor about six months after I met him. And during that time, I was advising him for six months and they kept asking me to come in and help the company run revenue. And I didn't want to do it. I was frankly having a lot of fun. I got to throw my whole body into roles like this. And I knew that if I took another role, it would have to be super special for me to do that. And in August, I was doing some advisory work and I was in Maui with my wife and the founders called me and they were like, Hey, when should we raise money? I'm like, why? We just raised like nine months ago. Do we need money? He's like, no, but we're being asked. We want to raise money. And they said, okay, well, if we're going to go do this, we want you to help us and you need to come on board. But now's the time before we make this move. And what it came down for me was opportunity cost. So I want to help people in their careers become great and have generation wealth opportunities. Andrada was a better canvas than the one that I was working on. It was a polar, polar opposite of the deal that I was working on. I mean, that stuff is fun for me. And that's a place where like, you know, I felt like it's going to be a hell of a lot more work, but I, I get a lot out of it too. And I can bring people in. The company was growing. So now it's only two and a half years old as a company. And we have 3000 customers on a platform already. And with that comes a need to mature very quickly and to bring in people that can move very quickly. And so if I can bring in the right people, we can force multiply this thing a lot faster. And again, back to my earlier line, my job is to make this company better with me than without me. And so if I could bring in people and I started looking at that and saying, I can have an impact on a lot of people's lives that I care about and that I want to work with going here. And that for me was, was one of the primary reasons I didn't. The other one's just the tech stack is, is ridiculous. This isn't like artificial intelligence to drive a new result. We do the plumbing for risky to block. So we have, if you think about it, like a layer cake, we have frameworks that sit at the top that came our compliance frameworks, things like ISO 27001, SOC 2, HIPAA, ECI. These frameworks have things called controls. The controls are what sit in the applications. And these controls have monitors that sit below them in drought as well. And these monitors are constantly looking at the environment and giving you continuous compliance. Whereas Without a Drata-like system doing this in an automated fashion, you have people pulling that information out of the system. So you do it for questionnaires. You have to go app by app to pull this data and feed it up into the compliance system. And it's crazy because the tools to do this have been in the market for a decade. And I asked a CISO at RSA a couple of weeks ago, I was like, why hasn't anybody done this yet? Like, I just don't get it. And he's like, this is not the shiny, pretty thing to do. This is, this is plumbing. And what reminisced for me on that, one of the reasons I, I, that was a driver for me to come in here was that's what we did at Octa. 
and we we plumbed the identity stack. And we did it in a way that was it changed the way people did their job. This is very similar to that. And that for me was too compelling of an opportunity. We were really proud of our growth metrics at Octa in the early days, and we should be. And Drawn is growing at about twice the speed that we were at that point. And that's it's a different problem statement, but it's one that I can relate to. And I feel like back to the point, I can help draw to be better with me than, than without me. And I can bring great people here and give them an opportunity to do great things and hopefully career-changing, life-changing outcome. It's pretty incredible. And especially in this market is nothing to joke about at this point. So great signal for the future. And I think that's a great advertisement for everyone to go join Drada. But really appreciate the time, Adam. Yeah, Michael, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Windwire with Adam Ahrens. We hope you enjoyed his tales of resilience and experimentation. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd be grateful if you could rate us and leave us a review on your chosen podcast platform. Your feedback helps us see what you like and allows us to reach more listeners, bringing these conversations to a broader audience. Feel free to reach out to us at our show email, windwirepodcast at gmail.com with your feedback, suggestions, or any requests for future guests. To delve into more captivating stories like Adam's, don't forget to check out our previous episodes at thewindwire.com or on your preferred podcast player. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss any upcoming episodes featuring fascinating guests from diverse fields. Until next time, I'm Michael Katz, and you've been listening to The Windwire.